five years ago when Ramogi was working with Kane Coulter in Chicago and at Northwestern University trying to unionize players, the word union, the word labor dispute was taboo and there weren't many people that were willing to even engage in a conversation. It's a promising possibility of something actually changing. I think in all the years we've been talking about this, the name, image, and likeness piece has always been one that, you know, you put it on the table, you unpack it a little bit, and it is the one where people are like, yeah, that's kind of, that is bad. Why is it like that? Why does it need to be like that? And it it's refreshing to see that there's bipartisan support. Maybe they come at it for different reasons, but it really seems like, Maybe the country's hungry for something that we can do together to make our country better. Maybe the country's hungry for something that can make us feel better about collegiate sports again. Because I think there is a degree to which the cat's out of the bag enough that we're all feeling unsettled about it. And this is an opportunity to to make something right that is wrong. And um, I guess what I take away from it is a sense of, Um, possibility and hopefulness that I don't think I've had for a while about collegiate sports. Welcome to Going Deep, sports in the 21st century on Blue Ridge Public Radio. I'm Dr. Marsha Mount Shoup. And I'm Coach John Shoup. John's coached at the highest levels of the game of football for 26 years. And Marsha is an author, theologian, and minister. And we're glad you've joined us to go deep into some of the most pressing issues of our time. On Going Deep, we go beyond the sound bites and highlight reels. On today's episode of Going Deep, we visit with Ramogi Huma, the executive director of the National College Players Association. Ramogi helped shepherd the Fair Pay to Play Act, or SB 206, through the California State Assembly. Welcome to Going Deep, Ramogi. Ramogi, you played football at UCLA, right? I did. I what, did. What years were you there? It was a while back. It was uh, 90. I started in 1995, and my last game was the 99 Rose Bowl. Can you give your, your elevator speech about what the NCPA is? Sure. Uh, well, the NCPA is a nonprofit 501c3 uh, made up of current and former players across the nation, over 20,000. And uh, actually, it started as a, a student group on campus at UCLA. Cade was one of the members when we first mm-hmm. started. And uh, after one of our teammates was suspended over uh, eating groceries that, was left, that were left on his doorstep hmm. when he was broken hungry, the NCAA said, well, you only got those groceries because of your name and prominence, and you're on a radio show talking about the, the fact that you were broken hungry. Hmm. Someone left him on his, on his doorstep, and the NCAA found out and suspended him. Wow. And Yeah. And I, I was his backup, actually. I was the backup uh, linebacker, and he was an All-American. They're selling his jersey in the stores. Mm. And he can't even, you know, he'd have enough to eat. And I just felt at that time that players really needed a voice. And I spoke to players in my class, players like Kate and, and other people, and they all agreed. And from there, 
got the rest of the team on board and started a student group. But that student group has now evolved into our organization. And we advocate for college athletes' rights. Sometimes it's uh, public awareness, exposing things, helping players individually on campuses, helping to arrange lawsuits, or sponsoring legislation for college athletes' rights. Now, have you been involved in the formal process with the California bill at all? Yes. So my organization is actually a co-sponsor of the bill. So I I was in Sacramento essentially lobbying for the bill (laughs) since the beginning of the year. Right. And uh, it's been been an amazing process. So absolutely. And now we are trying to take that bill and, and go to other states as well. That's what I've heard, that Florida, is there's something cooking there? Are there other states where there's something in the pipeline? Yeah, Florida announced, and we're in, in contact with the lawmaker there, um, trying to help uh, support it. And we are in contact with Dan Miller from Pennsylvania, who introduced our bill. Mm-hmm. Um, a number, another of other states have announced, I think the total might be somewhere around 11 states that wow. have either already introduced legislation or have lawmakers that have signaled their intention to do so. Are those all name, image, and likeness yes. bills? Okay. Yes. Some of them go a little farther. I think mm-hmm. the New York bill adds 15% of revenues to be put into a trust fund for players when they're done playing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a little bit of variation within kind of the, the overall push, but name, image, and likeness, I believe, is in every single one of those states. So, like California's... Bill is the SB 206, right? Correct. And it's being called a Fair Pay to Play Act, but it's really not pay for play. I mean, it's simply, as I understand, that by the year 2023, universities cannot punish student athletes who profit off his or her name, image, or likeness. Where is the pay for play? play language come necessarily from you know it's interesting that was one of the concerns we had we, we, we worked with nancy skinner's office very closely over uh this whole time and i raised that as a question because i thought politically it might be a little tough the ncaa um, has spent so much to try to down the idea of quote-unquote pay for play from our position players are paid to play in the form of scholarships is widely known we were able to prove that separately in the northwestern unionization push it's compensation. It's conditional on players performing. It's not charity. It is pay-for-play. Um, we've always asserted that it's not enough that players, you know, fair market value is really being stifled, um, and even third-party endorsement opportunities. And that's really what this bill uh, specifically focuses on more, is that players should be able to use their name, image, and likeness to receive money. Um, nothing in the bill forces the schools to pay the players directly, um, but it actually disarms the schools and the NCAA from punishing players who... Um, go ahead and make money off of their name, image, and likeness. So, um, but it was interesting because honestly, I think in the big picture, um, I'm, I'm actually glad it's called the Fair Pay to Play Act. I think that mm. um, reformists, our advocates, such as myself, we've had to tiptoe a little bit around that issue. Yeah, it kind of invokes knee-jerk reactions around the nation. But we're seeing this bill called the Fair Pay to Play Act just take off like a freight train mm-hmm. with bipartisan support, and I think that's a good thing. Because as long as the NSA can hide behind its, its fake amateurism and try to hold up as some kind of moral high ground, uh, it's, it gets hard. But when we can kind of just be direct and say, you know what, this is not amateur sports. Right. It's a $14 billion industry. It's professional. And we're not going to pretend that while coaches are making millions of dollars, um, that players shouldn't share in some way, you know, in some way. And I think this is a big step towards that direction. <laughs>
interesting to kind of see it as a way to normalize that language and also just the concept for people that why why are we acting like we don't pay players and why should we not have this conversation can you say a little bit more about the bipartisan support i mean in our current political climate in this country there's pretty much nothing (laughs) that has bipartisan support (laughs) so can you talk about that a little bit i know there are different and perhaps also the and, and perhaps just along those lines, I'm sorry, the evolution that you've seen, you know, from even your sure. time with, you know, Kane Coulter at Northwestern when to even bring this up was taboo to now have that bipartisan support. So maybe right. the evolution of it as well, if you would. Thanks. Sure. And uh, it's funny because I've had so many friends say the same thing, you know, Congress, you know, whether it be state houses or Congress. You know, you don't get bipartisan support on anything nowadays. And, you know, some people are just, you know, they, they've stated over and over they wish the, the rest of the country can see this and, and, and hope the lawmakers can get their acts together and, and really come up with some things, uh, tackle big issues just like they are now in this, in this area and expand it to other areas. But, you know, I think uh, we've, been, we've been highlighting the fact that this should be bipartisan virtually since we started from the beginning. You know, this is not a partisan issue. It should not be a partisan issue. Um, you know, when it comes to compensation restrictions, first of all, it's un-American. We have antitrust laws to make sure that price fixing doesn't happen, to make sure that there's free enterprise. And it just so happens that that is a pillar of the Republican mm-hmm. political ideology. You know, free markets, let the markets determine things. And in a sense, it happens um, for everything but the players. You know, coaches have access to this free market, um, and you see them, you know, many of them are, are well rewarded in terms of salary. Um, the Even recruiting, recruiting, there's free market in recruiting when it comes to the how big a recruiting budget is, how much someone can spend, a, an AD can decide to spend on bells and whistles to attract recruits. You know, everything in and around the players, but anything that would benefit the players directly. And so um, that's part of the free market. And, uh, you know, it's a strong conservative principle. I think on the Democratic side, there's more of a kind of a little guy, civil rights, um, equal rights um, principle that has always been at play. You know, if you look at um, California, in California, the majority of college athletes are African-American and women. So there's minorities and women. They're from protected classes. And yet they don't have equal rights on college campuses. That is a serious, serious civil rights issue. You know, and I think um, that is a pillar of the Democratic Party to focus on some of those inequities uh, in general. And a lot of times it's big business versus small person. Mm -hmm. And it's just all kind of coming together where each of the parties see enough of a reason that this should change, not for the same reasons exactly, right? But it's it's leading to the result. And I, oh my, I mean, in the assembly, the the bill passed seventy three nothing. Wow. In the Senate, it passed thirty nine nothing. Wow. I, I, I have I mean, never seen a bill. Nothing pass does that. Yeah. Nothing does that. that so when I say it's a freight train, and and all these other bills that are popping up, it's not just Republicans. It's not just Democrats. It's like popcorn. In some states, you know, it, it can be either or. You know, sometimes we've seen. Republicans introduce the bill, sometimes Democrats, and many of them are, are coming together to introduce it jointly. So uh, it's very, very refreshing and inspiring. It is. Are there any states in particular that have offered staunch resistance? You mentioned a lot of states that are really open to this and they have even introduced bills. 
And I guess I'm thinking of the Alabamas, the Tennessees, the Deep South SEC. Has there been pushback from states? Not yet. Not yet. And actually, South Carolina is actually one of the uh, states where a bill has been introduced. Mm. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I don't know. We, we're not in every state. Uh, you know, we, we only have so much capacity, so we're working with about a half a dozen states at a time. And so, you know, we're, we're in sure. some states we're trying to break open, you know, break open a new opportunity and get a bill introduced. And well, in other instances, we're working with lawmakers who are already in action. So not really sure yet, state by state, what there, you know, if there might be some resistance uh, based on just geographics. I know that the NCAA has a committee set up now to quote-unquote study this. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's there's a degree to which, you know, they can study it till the cows come home. But, you know, if it if this becomes law um, and there's, you know, as you said, this freight drain effect where, you know, state after state passes a law and there even is a federal law passed. Um, the NCAA is just not going to have a lot of options in terms of how it. Um, kind of pushes back or resists the law, it seems to me their only next step would be to try to capitalize on it and then begin to regulate this so that they still have a way to kind of control the way this gets deployed. Do you have any insight into what the NCAA's strategy is going to be as this gains steam? Well, their strategy has been to try to kill it, first of all. Um, And then where they couldn't kill it, uh, they're, they're trying to kind of delay things and get some buy-in for uh, lawmakers to wait to, uh, to a point where the working group concludes its work and provides whatever recommendations or proposals it will. Um, fortunately, the California lawmakers and the governor did not fall for that. I mean, they, mm-hmm. the NCA has had hundreds of working groups working on issues that sound promising, um, and there's just a graveyard of proposals. Right. They never go anywhere. And our fear was that if the governor... Uh, listened to the NCA and waited, that it would just be more time for the NCA to kind of regain itself, regain its footing, and try to really kill the bill. Um, it's interesting. I mean, this issue's been front and center since at least, well, as I mentioned, I mean, my teammate was suspended for name image likeness issues back in 1995, but in a whole slew of athletes since then. But, you know, the Bannon lawsuit, which was launched in 2009, mm-hmm. put it front and center. They've had plenty of time to address this issue. But that's kind of the nature of the NCAA. They've, they've always dug in. Has been ver- they've been very slow to reform. Um, I think you're right. I, you know what we've been saying is that really I believe the NCAA um, either they embrace it or they just you know they're going to get plunged into irrelevance. You know in terms of right. what everybody sees the NCAA as because it's going to happen. California has already enacted a bill. The bill is not going to go anywhere. It's not going to be repealed. So at the end of the day. Um, and, and, and all the other states lining up like dominoes, which was our strategy. We thought, well, mm-hmm. if one state uh, passes a bill, the other states will follow. And I didn't know it was going to be this quickly in terms of movement and this easy because we're not even having to push in a, 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 a number of these states. It's just happening or, organically right. because the lawmakers are seeing the headlines. So um, the NCA can threaten to kick out California, which is, by the way, it would be an illegal boycott mm. of California colleges. It would violate antitrust laws. Um but assuming that somehow I find a way to, found a way to kick out the states that are going to pass these bills, you know, we're likely looking at a good chunk of, of the power conference states 
And at the end of the day, the NCAA can't do that. There'd be yeah. nobody else to regulate. They'd have no members that, that generate revenue. So I think they either embrace it or become mostly irrelevant when it comes to issues of finances. And I think this is an awakening of states. And it's, you know, for us, again, very refreshing. We've been hoping for some kind of intervention on behalf of college athletes for a long, long time. But states are now they're learning, look, we can do what we want. You know, we can actually set up a system that's more fair. And they are more impartial. The NCAA, the people who are speaking out against this bill, literally most of them are are personally making millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. They benefit directly because the players, all their value is artificially siphoned Mm -hmm. into their salaries. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty transparent when you peel back the layers of why you would not want this that it has to be that you somehow are capitalizing on the funds getting directed in a different in a different into a different place. I'd almost get nervous if the NCAA b- began to embrace it though. <laughs> I just feel like every, you know, they don't know how to center oh, the, yeah. the, I, I'm know, with the you interest of, of students, if, you know. If and when they try to embrace it, it'll look more like a chokehold. Yeah. We'll see it coming. It's not going to be a friendly embrace. They'll try to peel it back and, and try to convince some of the states, if not all of them, hey, look, let's do it. Fine, you're, you're along that line, but let's cap it. Let's keep it only limited to X, Y, and Z. Let us right. be the ones to make the determinations and tell players what they can and can't do. And they're going to try to reel it in. Yeah. You know. Is there language in the bill in terms of the university's involvement? Is is it just the between the player and the endorsing entity, or or is the university involved in the transaction at all? I know they no, it it doesn't put the university in in charge of the transaction. Good. It gives okay. it just gives the players the freedom. There's one exception, um, and this was put in a, as a late amendment by the author uh, Nancy Skinner after hearing from the governor's office from the schools who were all opposed every school in the entire state is opposed was been opposed to this law uh, but they said well what if we have a nike deal a, a nike deal and our quarterback goes and signs with under armor or we're going to be forced to play in uniforms where that quarterback is in an under armor jersey and mm-hmm. shoes mm-hmm. you know so um there was a concession made saying that if during t- official team activities, there was a, a conflict in a contract between a player and the school that basically the school's contract would prevail. Okay. Uh, I think it could have been more narrowly tailored, and we actually have model legislation on our website that mirrors the California bill, um, but with some key adjustments, uh, some small adjustments, but, but but important, because that, that for instance, should be narrowed to apparel. If it's an issue of apparel, which is reasonable to bring up and discuss, Finish a focus on apparel. So there's some things that right. uh, we're hopeful for. But like, uh, it, so of, so let's take that example and where this bill would hit the ground for a player. If a school has a Nike contract and they've got a star player, you know they've got a, a great quarterback or something at that school. Is Nike going to be able to then directly work with that player, even if they have a contract with the school? Would Nike yes, be able? To, okay, so Nike would be free to put, you know, to have a whole different deal with, with that quarterback. Okay. put the player on commercials or mm-hmm. you know whatever Nike wants to do. That that is absolutely um, so, allowed. Yeah. So so a star basketball player uh, chooses the University of North Carolina, which is a Nike school. 
he could wear Nike, but he could also have his personal contract with Nike. Now, Correct. If, Correct. if he wanted to sign a contract with Adidas, he could do that, but he could not wear Adidas shoes while playing in the game or Adidas apparel while playing in the game at the University of North Carolina. Exactly. Exactly. Now, Jim Delaney, obviously, uh, the former commissioner of the Big Ten, is against everything that has to do with this. <laughs> but he does say beware of what he called unintended consequences. And I know that there's going to certainly be growing pains in this, just as there were in free agency in every major league sport, you know, uh, where things have to settle down and people have to figure it out. But do you see any unintended consequences or have you thought ahead to things that we need to be alert for this as this arises? I don't. We've, we've addressed a few um, kind of the sky is falling scenarios. You know, people say, well, wait a minute, won't this harm competitive equity? You know, if, if um, players at schools with big sponsorships um, are benefiting more than in one state than another or on one team than another, Will that affect recruiting? To which we answer that with the current NCAA rules, the yeah. current rules, competitive equity does not exist. It doesn't exist. And all the data shows it. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't. You don't, have, you it, don't even have to look at data. <laughs> Just watch exactly. a game. <laughs> well, look, look at Clemson and Bama football. That's right. You know, that, you know what's, Just, the, what's the likelihood that uh, yeah. you know, another school is going to come in from a, a, a small conference and, and be in the championship game over those two schools? Well, even in the Division Three level, only three football teams have won the Division Three national championship over the last really? twelve years. Over the last twelve years, Mount Union, yeah. Mary Harden, and uh, uh, Wisconsin Lacrosse. And so, exactly. there's no parity there. Even I mean, in Division Three. <laughs> in Division Three. That's interesting. And yeah, I mean, the top, the top conferences and in, in schools get the best recruits, period. They have the most money to hire the best coaches, biggest recruiting budgets, best facilities. And so there's always going to be some kind of um, competitive equity issue. And so to point to competitive equity as a reason to strip players of equal rights and freedoms economically is not justified in the least. Well, I've always thought when I was coaching in college, I sometimes thought of recruiting as like prohibition. Just because it's illegal to do something doesn't mean it's not being done. Right. And we saw right. it in basketball clear as day at, at Auburn, at Arizona, where, you know, coaches were funneling thousands of dollars to players. Mm-hmm. What do you and it's s- interesting because mm-hmm. people are talking about competitive equity. I, I wonder how much of, you know, more equity might there be if everything was above table? Because, uh, you know, everything with it under the table, you got to think that some of the big programs that are consistent, got to wonder how they get the same athletes um, or the same quality athletes every year. Absolutely. um, Who are, you know, and they're sitting, some of them are just sitting second string, you know, uh, and and kind of trapped at a a school where they can't shine. Um, It's interesting. And I think we'll find out soon enough whether or not uh, any of this changes once the states adopt you know, these, this type of bill in their own, for their own athletes. Well, I, I think it's going to create 
more parity because right now I, I could tell you coaches that I know that are willing to cut the, you know, circumvent the rules and coaches that are unwilling to circumvent the rules. And the yeah. ones that are willing to do it get better players. They do it discreetly. They, you know, they have their ways. They have their ways. And now, uh, honest coaches or people who are trying to do it the right way are on a more level playing field. And I think it will create much more parity, in fact. Well, anytime, I agree 100%. Anytime you bring something from underneath the table and put it on top of the table, usually there are ways to make it more equitable. If you can you know, talk about it and create systems around it and things like that. And also that kind of segues into the next question about players' ability to bargain and um, to, you know, advocate for themselves. I know that the bill, the California bill, would make it illegal for a school to prevent them from having representation or an agent. Do you see this creating any more space for the players to organize, to unionize, to to create a collective voice for for negotiating things like this? Well, first, I mean, I support that notion 100%. Um, as you know, with another organization, we helped lead an effort to unionize college athletes at Northwestern, the football mm-hmm. team. Um, the only ruling on record was that, yes, they're employees, and then mm-hmm. it was appealed, and the, the full board refused to answer that question. And so the effort died. But <clears throat> this specific bill doesn't change any of that functionally. Um, it's not illegal for players to have a union or to pursue uh, or to assert their uh, employee rights under the law. Um, and this bill doesn't really change that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't doesn't really, um, and since it's not forcing schools to pay the players directly, there's no more of a case to say, well, now they're receiving payment and now, mm-hmm. you know, um, workers' rights is, you know, they're more clear. So I don't think it directly helps in any of those ways. resistance or some notable resistance when we were trying to unionize college athletes um, versus now when it is you know we're seeing unanimous bipartisan support in California and, and signals of that across the nation and I just think it's interesting because I think it, it you know politics matters the tool you use matter the tools that you use the strategies that you use matter and in this case we're finding that uh, it's not there's not a lot of opposition to players receiving compensation in this way but if it was done through the means of uh, collective bargaining, mm. um, that is highly p- partisan. Yes. You know, there you have the Democrats that, that typically support uh, organized labor. You have Republicans that don't really like it so much. And those were major obstacles and very polarizing during the push for um, unionization. Um, but I think it's interesting that this other avenue hasn't invoked that. In, in fact, it's invoked the opposite. So, you know, having a keep fighting and using trying to use different tools and you know this one here seems to be pretty uh pretty successful and popular yeah well is there anything else that you that you feel like our listeners need to know about this bill or other emerging bills keep an eye on congress like i said i think congress we don't need congress to get involved if it wants to get involved and be helpful that's great 
if it doesn't get involved, the states will do just fine. That's what we believe. That's what we're seeing already. Mm-hmm. So we'll be keeping a close eye on the type of legislation that's introduced in Congress, if it's pro-player or pro-NCAA. Mm-hmm. And I think that'll be a, a tale of the story. The NCAA is very resilient, as we've seen, very resilient over the years. I mean, literally, we'll bring lawsuits. We'll help organize them. And uh, the NCAA gets ruled to be in violation of antitrust laws for price fixing, yet the court turns around and allows it to continue. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when does that happen? And so, kind of like a fungus or something. <laughs> yeah, it just, just keeps growing. It's really <laughs> interesting. So we're not taking anything for granted. That's why we're, you know, kind of pedal to the metal, trying to get to other states and get mm-hmm. more um, states to pile on and, and do the right thing for their college athletes. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll be successful, but it's going to be a fight for sure. Well, I know, Ramoga, you've been you've been fighting this fight and doing this work for a long time. And in no small way, you know, that work that you've done and the conversation that you've invited is why this is happening. There are other voices and you're part of a big team of voices, but I'm just grateful for the way you've stuck with it and, and really, you know, inserted the, the kind of interests of players into the conversation in ways that are that have been deeply impactful and I hope you know hope you know you have our support but I'm also just so grateful that that the work that you have done now is bearing fruit like this it's exciting to see well I I appreciate that and you're right there's been so many players to stand up at key moments um, and and have a lot of courage and uh, whatever we can do to help foster that we, we always will at the end of the day, players have to have a voice in this thing. It can't be Amen. all about the players without the players. So um, that's our goal as well in terms of reform. We want to make sure the players' interests are at the forefront. Amen. You've been listening to Going Deep, sports in the 21st century, from the studios of Blue Ridge Public Radio, NPR for Western North Carolina. Tell us what you think of the show by emailing us at goingdeep at bpr.org. Make sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Shoops Going Deep.